Hi, I'm Isok Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It is Wednesday, November 2nd. Roger Ebert famously said, no good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough. But is that true? Maybe for him, but I'm not so sure I agree these days. More and more filmmakers are trying our collective patience. In 2021, the top 10 performers at the box office averaged two hours, 11 minutes. That's nine minutes longer than the movies a decade earlier, and 21 minutes longer than the movies in 1981. The prestige, auteur-driven movies are actually worse. In 2010, the 10 movies nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars ran on average an hour and 52 minutes. By 2019, that number had pushed to 220. This at a time when our collective attention spans are getting shorter by most counts, thanks to social media, their multi-screen clip culture, TikTok, the rest. Some of the biggest hits of the past year, I'm thinking Spider-Man, No Way Home, No Time to Die, The Batman, all of them are two and a half hours or longer. The upcoming award season movies push that time as well, as do these blockbusters that are coming out, like the sequels to Black Panther and Avatar. Does that actually matter, though? Do moviegoers care? There are movies that have come out the past year or so that should have been bigger, like Spielberg's West Side Story or House of Gucci, but they were two and a half hours plus. Did that matter? There's conflicting data. I'm not so much interested in complaining about long movies. I think there's a lot of that out there. Maybe you've done some yourself. Some people like them, some people don't. The way we watch most movies these days is on our couch, often in multiple sittings on a streaming service. So that's changed the equation too. I am interested in discussing why this is happening. And David Friendly wrote an interesting piece about this for Puck, where I work. David's an Oscar-nominated film and TV producer. He did Little Miss Sunshine, a bunch of other movies you've seen. And his plea to auteur directors is basically, you're not helping yourself when you make these movies longer. The audience wants shorter movies. You're not special. And if you can cut, you should cut. Is that accurate? Is that true? We're going to get into it today about why Movies are so damn long. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with David Friendly. Welcome, David. 
Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. You are also a contributor to Puck, where I work, and uh, you wrote a great piece this past week about the, the, the headline was Shorter Movies, Please, with an exclamation point. And I think you're voicing what a lot of people think when they see the running times on some of these movies these days. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the upcoming awards-oriented movies, the ones vying for Best Picture. Um, not exhaustive here, but Tar, the new Cape Blanchett movie, two hours, 40 minutes. Elvis, which came out this summer from Baz Luhrmann, two hours, 39 minutes. Spielberg's movie, The Fablemans, 231. There's a can winner, Triangle of Sadness. It's vying for best picture, two hours, 20 minutes. The indie hit, Everything Everywhere All at Once, 219. The Damien Chazelle movie with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, Babylon, that is reportedly three hours and eight minutes. And then that doesn't even include Black Panther 2, which I have seen and is two hours, 41 minutes, and Avatar, The Way of Water, which is reportedly over three hours. So these are running times that really test the patience of audiences. And we are not here today to complain uh, there's a lot of that already out there. I've done some myself. We are here today, and the reason I brought you on is to have a conversation about why this is happening. You know, I want to say you you brought up running time. And uh, when I started looking at these running times, because I wasn't sure it was actually true, it just felt like a visceral feeling. When I started looking at all the running times, I I, I had the idea to do this as a letter to some of my favorite directors that we'll call, we call them the auteurs. And it was a little bit uncomfortable. I was, I grew up watching their movies. I, I love Marty Scorsese's movies. Um, the Irishman at 329, that seems insane to me. And so <laughs> I, I, I felt like, let me ask a few people. And I did, uh, do you check running times before you go to the movies? And everybody I talked to said, absolutely. And most of them said, if it's more than two and a half hours, I'll wait and watch it on TV at home. Well, I don't want that to happen. Well, and I assume your friends are overrepresented by Hollywood people, people who are literally in this business who don't want that. Think of the average person. Yes, it's 100% right. If you're out in Kansas City and you got to hire a babysitter and you know, you're going to take the kids to dinner and you're going to go to a movie and it's three hours, you're asking you're asking for them to give you five hours of their day. It's, it, it's really not smart. And I think to use a tennis term, it's an unforced error. It's something that can easily be corrected. Although I think you and I both know these are not people that are used to being told how to make their movies. And that's right. That's a challenge. And increasingly, increasingly they are not being told. And let's get into this because that's one of the reasons why this is happening. And I think it really comes down to the streaming services, first and foremost. If you are a streaming service, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and the others, and you are trying to make a name for yourself, bidding for these movies, the biggest thing you can do is get in business with marquee A-list filmmakers. So how do you get those filmmakers to work for your service? You offer more creative freedom. You offer also a lot of money. Let's be honest about that. But you are less likely to question whether a filmmaker comes in, like Scorsese did, with a three and a half hour movie like The Irishman. 
It's just not something that is financially reasonable for a traditional studio that is putting these movies in theaters and hoping hoping to make a return. You get fewer plays during the day with a movie like that. But on a streaming service, you don't actually have to care as much. And in many ways, you are incentivized to have longer movies because the streaming services, all they care about is time spent on the platform. Whether you are engaged, whether you're watching, and if you have a three and a half hour you know, call it a two or three sit movie for Martin Scorsese, you can get a lot of runtime. You can get a lot of time spent on platform. So that's first and foremost. Do you agree with that? I agree 100%, but I'll give you the converse of that, which is that I'll use as an example Tom Rothman, who runs Sony now and was the head of Fox, where I made a lot of movies. Believe me, he would have a lot to say then and now about the length of a movie. And if he felt like it was going to alienate the audience or research told him that they were bored, you were going to hear from him. And you are not hearing that from, say, you know, somebody like Scott Stuber, who I have great admiration for, but who ex- ex- exactly what you said, loves the idea that he's getting a Scorsese movie with Leo or whoever, you know, packed with stars. Of course he wants that. And there's no runtime issue because... You know, you can watch it half one night, half the next night. But at a theater, it's a whole different experience. True. And that gets to the second part, which is in a competitive market where the traditional studio executives like a Tom Rothman at Sony, he's in a market right now where he's got to match or beat the offer that Netflix is making to these filmmakers. Let's For a Sony movie, let's go back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movie, which came in at 240. Rothman got that movie partly because Tarantino likes theatrical and Rothman is a movie lover and appealed to him and said, I will release your movie and do it in theaters. But also Rothman wasn't going to say to Tarantino, cut your movie and I'll put it in theaters. There's no way that was happening. And if he said that Tarantino would just go down the street. Right. But I think what you're talking about there is an exception that proves the rule. There are a handful of filmmakers that a guy like Tom or any studio head is going to go, leave him alone. He's Quentin Tarantino. Leave him alone. He's Martin Scorsese. And I think that it is a little bit of a mistake for us as an industry. Um, There have been amazing movies that are considered classics that we all know and love for for 50 years. Casablanca was an hour and 42 minutes. Sure. Uh, and and I don't know that it's doing them any favors. I, I, I think that, for example, um, there have been some movies where they released like, like the director's cut. And we used to buy the hardware. We used to buy like the DVD. This is the director's extended cut. I literally cannot give you a single example of one of those that I thought was better than <laughs> what was released. I defy you to name it. Well, there are some super fans. I'm sure people would argue with that. Some super fans love the extended. I know the Blade Runner extended cut, some people love. But I, I get what you're saying that for the most part, when movies are trimmed, they are trimmed for a reason, and the ultimate result is better. Correct. But these days, I mean, again, another Sony movie. Sony just released the longest Spider-Man movie ever, and that was the biggest hit the studio has ever released. So there isn't. This gets to the third point, which there is an argument to be made that audiences are being asked to pay 
even more money than they have ever been paying for movies and theaters. And as such, they expect more, quote-unquote, value out of their blockbusters. Everybody's in the eventizing business these days. You want your movies to be events. And a nice way to telegraph to the audience that this is an event is to have a Batman movie that is almost three hours or the longest Spider-Man movie ever, right? or an Avatar sequel that is a half hour longer than the original. And I've talked to studio executives. I had a conversation with Toby Emmerich, who was running Warner Brothers at the time, um, about the Superman movie, Man of Steel, which I thought was way too long and had like three separate endings. And we, he was saying, you know, the audience actually likes that. It, they feel like they're getting more bang for their buck when they see those multiple endings. And the big ending you thought was the end isn't the end. There's something bigger and badder coming. So is is that a rational argument that you, you can make to uh, a studio to say, you know what, my movie should be longer because that's actually what the audience wants? Well, every example you just gave, and it's a, it's a fair argument, comes from the world of, say, the Marvel movies, the superhero movies, the tentpole spectacles mm -hmm. of the studios. And I think that that is a very different school of films than, say, the movies you were talking about earlier that are going to be competing for awards. I think the younger audience that goes to those movies does see more value in having, you know, extra scenes and Easter eggs, you know, salutes to the original IP. They know this material inside and out and they do want more. And, and I spoke with Kevin Getz who runs Screen Engine and like the lead research company in Hollywood. And, and he made this point that the younger audiences may in fact want that, but with an older audience, it's, it's really ironic because they start out more patient, but if you don't, deliver and you leave them feeling you know exhausted they get much more frustrated so it's it's almost a bifurcated audience and i think to be fair the movies that i was writing about were really movies for my generation for adults sure. uh, and 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 i'm not a guy that even understands go you know uh, a marvel movie within an hour <laughs> i'm probably lost on the story because to be fair, I haven't read all the comics and I don't know the backstory and I'm not I'm just not that interested. So that's not what I was writing about. But your point is well taken. Sure. The the challenge there is that, you know, you have that audience that you're saying wants these eventized movies to be longer. Yet that same younger audience has a shorter attention span exactly. than previous generations because of all of the screen culture that we have these days. And yeah, there's a contradiction there because Hollywood is going one direction while the attention span and the culture and what really matters to younger audiences is going the other direction with shorter bite size, you know, drop in and out. And, you know, I just, I don't know how long that is sustainable at these hours. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
let's move on to a, a, a look at more of these auteur-driven movies because <clears throat> there is a power struggle that goes on in every movie. The battle between art and commerce, what the filmmaker wants to do and what the studio needs to have happen to make money on the movie. And you've been in the middle of several of these. Um, you talk a little bit in your piece about the cutting process, the test screening mm -hmm. process, where you show movies to audiences, you get their reaction, and you, you know, one of the biggest gripes people always have in these test screenings is it's too long or it dragged here. And then you would make cuts accordingly. Um, do you believe that that's happening less often these days with these more auteur-driven filmmakers? I have heard certain auteur directors who just say, I don't care about research. I'm not testing. Uh, I couldn't even literally tell you exactly which ones, but that's an argument that comes up. And they may have the ability to reduce the number of tests, but almost every studio movie for sure gets tested. No, they do still, but but do you think they are less likely to make the cuts that they would have made a generation ago? Absolutely. Because of this competitive environment. It's this time creep. It's like the two hour movie is not even considered a particularly long movie anymore. So once you get past that, now you've crossed that barrier and you get to like two and a half, I think that's where the conversation starts to come up. I think uh, this movie Bardo, you know, uh, premiered at Telluride. Oh, yeah, that's the Alejandro Inarritu movie. Right. And it it was two hours and 54 minutes when it premiered at Telluride. And this is the situation you never want to get into. They premiered it, it got panned, and then he reluctantly agreed to trim 22 minutes from the movie before... It comes on Netflix later this fall. It was going to go to theaters as well. It might right. actually already be in theaters. But uh, but that's a nightmare scenario because clearly those conversations should have happened before it went to its premiere. But when you have someone like Inaritu, who is a two-time Best Director winner, uh, maybe they don't have that conversation. And then you get into a film festival setting where the audience literally told him this right. movie is too long. And then you have your tail between your legs and you're cutting it and it's got a stink on it now. That's pretty unusual. Um, I, I do think I have been in, I've probably been in 30 or 40 different research screening test audience things. And I have seen directors roll their eyes in the focus group, you turn around and you're like, you can feel it. Like you're sitting there watching these people talk about the movie and the director is like shaking his head and, and really uh, annoyed with the whole process. But I do think ultimately there's a, like a two-step process. One, you know, you have the screening, you have the focus group and you get 400 cards that the director takes home, usually by himself or herself. And, the, and over a period of the next few days, you do tend to see some softening from the information that comes out in those cards. It's just not something that they're going to agree to quickly. And in the case of these auteurs, maybe not at all. Um, and, I, and I make the point, which I really believe, which is there, it's very difficult to be judge, jury, and sheriff of your own movie. I mean, it's a collaborative process. And if you think, I know best and I don't need anybody else's input. I think that's a bit arrogant 
you know, and I don't think it's helping. them. It's like if five people in a room tell you you're drunk, you're supposed to sit down. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, it's no coincidence. I don't think that the inner movie Bardo is a Netflix movie because right. I do believe that that conversation happens less often at Netflix. And in fact, that is the reason why they are often getting these movies is because they will say to someone like Inaritu, bring your movie here. Yeah, we'll do sure. your three-hour art film movie about a uh, personal existential crisis. Right. We'll do that. And then they get into a film festival setting, and if the reviews are not there and they can't position it for awards like they did in the past with The Irishman or last year with The Power of the Dog from Jane Campion, then they hit the panic button. Right. And I think, you know, you 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 started talking briefly about the limited attention span. I, I woke up this morning to hear that there's a movement to ban TikTok. Uh, and, and that might be the best thing for the movie business because huh. the the gap between, you know, TikTok, uh, TikTok, you know, brief shorts that are kind of addictive and a two hour and 40 minute movie that, you know, you feel the weight of it as you're sitting in the audience. I just don't think they're doing themselves any favors, you know? Yeah, but you know, it's it 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 is it, there are the exceptions that prove the rule. Of course. And then there are the exceptions that every filmmaker believes that he or she is going to have applied to them. You know, right. it's like do you, are you going to be the one that sits in the room and says to Jim Cameron, "You know, we're really excited about Avatar 2, but can you bring it in under 3 hours?" Right. You know, and this is a guy that has spent how many years now? 12 years yeah. on this movie. Yeah. And they've spent, you know, 250 plus million dollars of Disney and Fox's money to do this. Um, but there are costs. I mean, if you look at the costs of putting these movies uh, over that threshold, you know, th most people think that if you add an extra 30 to 60 minutes to a, a movie, it can increase the budget by as much as 25 percent. And that's because you have to do post-production. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, it's like most movies shoot way more than they actually use. But there is a cost to making these movies longer. And then obviously in theaters, if they're super long, they plus play less times, fewer times during the day. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for the Avatar movie when its expectations are that it can get to $2 billion worldwide. It's going to be a lot harder for this movie to do that because it's 30 minutes longer than the original. So there are downsides. There are downsides, but also you gave the one exception or the one director who, given the success of Avatar, given his career, given the fact that he's a powerful auteur, I guarantee you there was no conversation about the length of Avatar 2. Right. Because, you know, but that's 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 a very rare breed and maybe he's earned that you know yeah. i mean i Do you think I, damien I, chazelle has earned that with babylon well i mean look i like his <laughs> i don't work. want to put you on the spot there i i like him as a filmmaker too but when i saw that i i was like what you know and his movies keep getting longer i looked at him whiplash was not that long and then you go to la la land a little bit longer and then you go to first man a little bit longer and now it's right. like the the floodgates are open uh the trend is up yeah, if you look at even Spielberg, if you look at some of yeah. Spielberg's early hit movies, E.T. was an hour and 54 minutes. Indiana Jones, sorry, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first one, was an hour and 45. You know, Jurassic Park, two hours, seven minutes. And then you look at the Fablemans, two and a half hours for an intimate, personal drama. 
Right. You know, even the people who love that film say it's probably too long. Matt, do you think that E.T. and Close Encounters and all the early Spielberg movies were intended to be two and a half hours? That's what he really wanted, but in the studios cut down on them? Or do you think he just happened to be making shorter movies back then? Uh, that's a good question. That's a better question for David. What do you think? I think ultimately uh, he was he was following more with the convention of yeah. filmmaking at the time. I don't think he was going, I want to make a longer movie. I want to make a shorter movie. And, and I think it's a, a fair question, but it's also something I wanted to bring up because there's something about the movie form where between an hour and a half and say two hours, you know, let's say one hour and a half to two hours feels perfect to me. You know, I was a big record collector in college. There weren't that many double albums and, and there weren't that many that you, you had to have. The White Album was fantastic, you know, certain, but most of them had say six to 12 songs and and they're they were kind of perfect right well now now people don't even know what albums are no they don't even know but i'm just using i'm using an old yeah, an yeah, old-fashioned yeah. example to say no one talks about the fact that there may be uh a kind of a perfect length you don't certainly want to it look we're not we're not saving lives here it's not like if the speed limit goes up to 85 miles an hour people are going to die but there is a kind of a range here. Uh, and the interesting thing to me is something I go back to that we talked about at the beginning. No one used to talk about checking running time before you went to the movies. Mm -hmm. You saw a movie, you wanted to go see it. And now a lot of people look. And if you're trying to get people like producer Craig to go back to the movie theater, like producer Craig, what was the last movie you went to at a theater? You're a young guy. Well, I took him to the Black Panther premiere last week, so that okay. probably counts. Uh, but that honestly, that movie's 241 and didn't feel that long to me. Did it feel long to you, Craig? No, but you know, we were kind of swept up in all the, you know, the hubbub of the day. But the last movie I went and saw in theaters was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was right. long. 219. 220, yeah. And how did you feel about that? Was it like dragging for you? No, but the way I see going to the movies now is I, I pick my spots and I will see a few movies each year in the theater. So I kind of buy into the fact that I'm going to be there for a while because I know it's a once in a, you know, three month experience. But what, but what you're explaining there is the eventizing. You're seeing movies you feel are events in theaters. And I think that gets to the strategy that a lot of these studios have where if they're going to make the play for theaters, which is an increasingly rare thing, they're going to try to eventize the movie in whatever way they can. And perhaps having a longer movie is an event. Yeah, I think it really comes down to genre. You know, you use the example, I haven't seen the Fableman's movie and, and you haven't seen it. I, I take it from the way you were I'm talking I'm seeing it this weekend. It. I have not seen it. Right, but but you know what it is and you're already having some anxiety. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> like, and it popped up in the reviews. It popped right. up in the reviews. Even the reviews that liked it noted the length. Right. All right, this has been a fascinating conversation. David Friendly, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, man. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, have you ever watched Girls 5 Eva? No, but I know about it, and I think the concept is funny. It is pretty funny. This was a Peacock show produced by Tina Fey and her partner, Robert Carlock, that aired two seasons on Peacock. And the news this past week was that it was renewed for a third season, but at Netflix, not at Peacock. 
which is an interesting development because it says a lot. It says basically that it wasn't really performing on Peacock. And the studio, which is also NBC, thought that they could get more value out of this show by letting Netflix take it over. And this is not the first time this has happened with a show. I mean, the best example is probably Cobra Kai, which aired its first two seasons on YouTube. And then Netflix came in and said, hey, this is actually pretty good and nobody's watching it on YouTube. Let's put it on Netflix. They did. It was a huge hit, got Emmy nominations, and now it's in its fifth season on Netflix. So my prediction is that Girls 5 Eva will become a big hit on Netflix. So do you think that there are a lot of shows out there just on the wrong platform, not getting the views they deserve? And if a, and if a streamer picks it up, or a big streamer picks it up, it's an easy win? I think that that's happening to a certain extent. Netflix obviously is the giant in the room because they have 225 million subscribers. So if you put something on from a platform like Peacock, which has 15 million subscribers on a platform that has, what is that, you know, 13, 14 times as many subscribers, obviously you're going to get a bigger audience. But I do think that people look for different types of shows on different types of platforms. People obviously were not looking at YouTube for scripted comedies. You know, you are looking at YouTube for different types of shows and they quickly realized that and they got out of the original business. NBC had a show called Manifest that was doing okay. It got a couple seasons on MTV on, on NBC, but not doing great. They sold that off to Netflix and it ends up being huge on Netflix because it's serialized. It's, you know, cliffhanger-y and it was the kind of show that performs well on Netflix and it was a big hit. So I do think that people are not looking necessarily for those kinds of scripted serialized dramas on broadcast television anymore. They're looking for them on streaming and Netflix is taking advantage of that. And is and I assume the show as well well reviewed critically just it doesn't yeah do it well. has fans it you know yes. it didn't do great uh never appeared on any of the nielsen you know top shows uh no, you know by numbers that's mostly because it's on peacock but it can do well the, the critics were, were there they liked it and it's a tina fey show so people are you know gonna give her a chance there uh, and if you see it on netflix it's the kind of show you would click on especially it delivers a younger audience too so they like that it's almost like Peacock is a farm system for Netflix. Or all of the networks are a farm system for Netflix. I mean, look at what happened to that show, You. Remember that? On yeah, Lifetime? yeah, yeah. They sold that off to Netflix. It became huge on Netflix. Nobody's watching this stuff on television, on traditional linear television. It's, unless it's a procedural or it's got Tom Selleck in it and the audience is 70 years old, you're not going to these broadcast networks or cable networks for scripted dramas anymore. You're watching them on streaming. Well, and everybody always complains that Netflix doesn't make good content anymore, so maybe what they should do is just pick well-reviewed content from other platforms that has a small following and blow it up. Well, the secret of Netflix has always been that the library stuff performs super well. If you go, if Netflix, if you look at like Criminal Minds and NCIS and shows like that, you know, they, they do really well on Netflix because they do really well everywhere. Like people watch that kind of stuff. And Netflix is nothing if not a populist platform because they're going for the widest possible audience, lowest common denominator often. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, David Friendly. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow.